0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we ask you would give us eyes to read it well and ears to hear it in the depths of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you can, can I encourage you to find a Bible? are the, under the chairs in, in front of you in church. Um, and if you can, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. It's on page 1067 of our church Bibles. Um, and welcome to you at home. Um, do, um, if you can get a Bible from home, by all means do. Now, I've got something with me in my hand, uh, which uh, I, was, I don't know if we can get the, the camera to zoom in on this. Um, it's, it's a compass, and you'll see why it's in my hand in a moment. For if you were here last week, you will recall that Um, Lindsay spoke of how I managed to get us both lost in uh, the Lake District and the, the name of the hill where we got lost on was singularly appropriate. It's called Burke Fell and we got lost on Burke Fell. We lost the path and we spent a lot of time wandering around in circles as the ground got more and more boggy and our spirits began to sink. And eventually I fished into my coat pocket and found this, a compass. Um, uh, And thankfully, uh, by looking at it, I was able to work out that we were going in precisely the wrong direction and navigate towards the direction we were meant to be in and find the path we should have been on. And our verses today from Romans 3 are like that compass. They give us a direction. Um, and we need it greatly. I wonder if we can have our next slide. Um, and here is a breakdown of the whole of this long letter by Paul to the Romans. And, in, and you might say this is a kind of compass too, this, this breakdown. Um, the, the absolute centre of the letter, uh, in some ways, is verses 24 and 25 of chapter 3 that we're going to look at in a moment. Um, But to understand um, how important they are, we need to see how they fit into the rest of the letter. A few weeks ago, we started our journey through Paul's letter to the Romans. um, And verses 1 to 17 of chapter chapter 1, they're like the introduction. Um, And then comes a long section from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20. This we might call the diagnosis. And then from verse 21 of chapter 3 all the way to the end of chapter 8 is the cure the medicine the remedy then we get chapters 9 10 and 11 and these are a kind of like digression where paul just speaks about what it means to be a jew as he is and a follower of jesus and then from chapter 12 verse 1 onwards to the very end of the letter is about how we live in our daily lives. This is the rehab, the rehabilitation, that follows on from the diagnosis and the cure that we've heard about earlier. And the sharp-witted will have spotted that the passage we Lindsay read for us from uh, the whole of chapter three actually crosses the boundary between diagnosis and cure. This is a really big moment in the letter. And I'm going to concentrate on, on the very end of chapter, chapter 3. Um, those first 20 verses, from 1 to 20, these are like the tail end of Paul's diagnosis of the human condition. And verse 20 states, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. That means the Jewish law. And Paul's point, point here is that the Jewish law, which is the most sophisticated code for living that exists... It's not enough. And he's outlined in chapters 1 to 3 of Romans that whether we are Gentiles, that's non-Jews or Jews, whether we are celebrities or nobodies, we are flawed individuals. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's verse 23 of our reading. This is the essential diagnosis from which the rest of the letter follows all human systems, all philosophies, all political structures. Um, They may well have good in them, but they will never be enough. I remember going many years ago into a jewellers to choose uh, an engagement ring with Lindsay um, when we got engaged. And all the rings were beautifully displayed. And the thing about those rings is that they were all on a dark velvet background. The reason was that the rings then really shone, they showed their best from that background and the the stones in them glistened. Chapters 1, 2 and 3 of Romans up to verse 20 of Romans 3, these are the dark background for the wonderful news of the rest of Romans. We're not meant to stop there but they are essential if we're to actually see Uh, If we're to see what is truly going on in the letter, we need them. They're the diagnosis that Paul gives, the dark backdrop from which the good news of the gospel shines. And so in verse 21, the action changes from diagnosis to cure. Verse 21 starts, but now, but now. These verses have been described as the two best words in the Bible, but now. Paul has given a dark diagnosis, but he doesn't mean us to stay there. And he's moving on now to the cure. We've had so much about human fallibility, but now, and this is the hinge of the letter, Paul is not just describing human life, he's talking about how it can be changed. And verse 23 onwards that's up on our screens at the moment all have sinned and fallen fall short of the glory of god and all are justified freely through his grace through the redemption that came by christ jesus god presented christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith now back to that jewelry shop one of the things it was full of were silver and gold crosses, and they're beautiful and it's fine to wear them. But they can be worn sometimes without any realization of what a cross actually stands for. These verses that we've got on our screens, they're about the cross of Jesus. Crucifixion was the nailing of a person through their wrists and ankles into a cross of wood it's a very grisly thing it was a form of execution it was an agonizing death now the roman justice system had a range of ways of disposing of people it was a brutal age and crucifixion was the bargain basement option senators and high-ranking individuals they might be executed too but they would be done as it were in a more refined way. And there are a string of words in verses 24 and 25 which tell us what the meaning of the cross is. Here is the heart of the passage, and in a sense the heart of this letter. Grace, verse 22, 24 says, all are justified freely by his grace. Grace is well summarised as God's riches at Christ's expense. And you can see how the first letter of each word actually makes up the words grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God reaching out to us, not us being able to reach to him. Could we have our next slide? This is all about redemption. Verse 24, all are justified freely through his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, we've spoken before in recent weeks about the presence of slaves in the early Christian communities. And that wasn't at all surprising. There were lots and lots of slaves in the ancient world in Jesus and Paul's time. The thing about slaves is that they, uh, they were in the early church and they would have heard things that other people wouldn't have heard. And you can be sure that their ears would have pricked up when they heard the word redemption. And the reason is this the ancient economy was founded on slavery. A sizable chunk of the population were slaves. The trade in slaves, and that's like what this poor, the plaster cast of this poor victim from the eruption in Pompeii. And if you look closely, you can see the manacle by which he was chained, which is around. His ankle, that's the only thing of this poor man that has survived. The key thing, the, 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 the trade in slaves was a big part of the Roman and Greek economies. And if we could have our next slide. Here's a picture of um, an island called Delos, in, uh, it's just off the coast of Greece. And Delos was held one of the biggest slave markets in the ancient world. This was slaves are us. This was the metro center for slavery. If you've seen the film Gladiator, you may remember the scene where the key character Maximus, played by Russell Crowe, is sold into slavery. And this high ranking man finds his degradation complete at that moment. You could become a slave by being captured in war or by being, being condemned by the state To be a slave as a punishment, or you could be born into slavery. The children of slaves were the property of their master and could be sold. Slaves were property, like something you could put on eBay. Uh, But because they were property, it was also possible to buy the freedom of a slave, to pay for a slave to be made free. And the word that the Romans used for that was redemption. It's the word that's used by Paul here. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely through his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God sends Jesus so that on the cross he offers us redemption from our slavery. And Romans 1, 2, and 3 are saying that we are slaves, slaves to the weakness of our fallible human natures. But verse 24 of chapter three says that we have redemption by the cross of Jesus. By the cross, the cost of all human wrongdoing is paid for by God the Father sending his son as our redeemer. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely through his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The cross speaks then of God's grace, of his redemption, and finally it is described as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement means simply making at one those things that have been separated. Here, Paul is referring back to a central part of Jewish worship, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. When special sacrifices were made to God each year, the high point of which saw the sins of all the people confessed over the head of a goat who was then driven out into the wilderness. And Paul is saying that God has, in Jesus' cross, reached out to us as his sacrifice for us, enabling us to be at one with God. The life that is in God can now, by the sacrifice of God, be in us. Moving on to the final verses of chapter 3, these stress again that Jews and Gentiles are alike in equal need of this redemption by the cross. Outrageously, Paul is saying to his hearers, many of whom were free legally and who would have hugely valued their status as free citizens, that in God's eyes, they were slaves too. That everybody is a slave and that the only freedom worth having is the freedom of the cross, which is as accessible to the slaves as to the free people in that congregation to which Paul is writing. And then if we fast forward to chapter 8, verse 15 of Romans, we see where he is heading, the destination of all of this. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship and by him we cry Abba Father this is where we are all headed God by his grace wants to redeem us to free us from slavery by the sacrifice of atonement which is the cross of Christ to read Romans we need a compass just as Lindsay and I needed a compass to get off Fell, And for Romans, the compass consists of seeing the basic structure of this letter. Chapters one, two and three. These are Paul's diagnosis, the dark backcloth against which the diamond shines. And today, in verses 24 and 25 of Romans, we move to from the diagnosis to the cure. We're not yet at the summit of the letter, but we're now well on the way. Romans 3 verses 24 and 25, these are like the base camp through which every climber must go if they are to reach the summit. The diagnosis of the human condition is that all human beings and all human systems and all human political structures and all human philosophers are never enough. Every single one of them constitutes our attempt to get to God. Some of them are better and worse than others, but none will bring us truly to God. None will bridge us across the gap. None will enable us to face our mortality, our deaths, with hope. None will enable us to forgive others or to know forgiveness in our hearts. For the cure is that which we cannot do. We can no more get to God than we can jump across the river Tees by our own efforts. The cure is that which we cannot do, which God has done in the cross of Christ. There is a redeemer. We are bought out of slavery by the atoning work of the cross. Today in this worship is an opportunity for us to receive what's called communion, bread and wine, as Jesus commanded us to do on the night before he died on the cross. I love the story, and forgive me if I've told it to you before, but I love the story of the Duke of Wellington, the early 19th century general who won the Battle of Waterloo. And he was attending a communion service shortly after this battle, at, at this point, he was stratospherically famous. He was idolised as, as the saviour of Europe. And as he went up to receive his communion, there was a lady in front of him, and she curtsied and stood to one side, realising it who it was, to, to let him go ahead of her. And the duke, who was famously rude, said, Madam, at this table, we are all equals. And it may have been a bit abrupt, but he, he had a point. For this is what Romans 3 means. And whether you are gathered here on the, online or in person, and whether you have been a member of St Barnabas for decades, or whether you have just come through the door for the first time today, whether you've been a Christian all your life, or whether you came to faith just in recent days, whether you've got tons of qualifications and PhDs coming out of your ears or whether you have not a scrap of paper qualifications to your name, whether you are the mayor or whether you are an in- inmate of Her Majesty's prisons, either way, you cannot reach God by your own efforts or no redemption by your own efforts But the glorious news of Jesus and the cross is that God has come to us, has bridged the divide in the shape of his son. We were lost, but now by faith, we can be found. And this has colossal consequences for our daily lives. For we, as we receive grace, we must then become transmitters of grace. And just as God didn't wait for us to come to him but came to us in the cross of Christ, so we should never wait for others to behave graciously before we start behaving graciously. And that's a hard ask. Paul says elsewhere in Romans, chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As recipients of grace, we are to be transmitters of grace. As you and I look at our families, our workplaces, our town, our planet, what does living out that grace that we receive mean for each one of us? Amen.